0: and
1: intro for this one i haven't done a good intro in a while all aboard the steampunk train people welcome to last refuge of the incompetent wait that I was am... our
2: intro oh, shush. So oh
1: shush, shush i was gonna say choo-choo and then i stopped myself <laughs>
3: The steampunk train, so it's like choo-choo, chew, chew, clank, clank. Anyway, anyway, continue saying your name.
1: Yeah. My name's Gall.
3: My name's Moses. My name's Ted.
1: And we are joined with a really wonderful special guest. LM Bogad, is a performance artist and scholar specializing in humor, imagination, and theatrics and progressive movement activism. He has performed and led workshops on picket lines and in museums and theaters internationally. Professor of political performance at UC Davis, he has authored the books Tactical Performance, Electoral Guerrilla Theater, (laughs) and Performing Truth, Works of Radical Memory for Times of Social Amnesia. His plays have covered topics such as the Egyptian revolution, the Haymarket Square riot, Pinochet coup in Chile, and global climate chaos. He is the creator and host of the podcast, The Plague, and his Delivering Democracy, a troop of dancing mailboxes and ballot boxes entertained and informed voters in 2020, joyfully resisting authoritarian disinformation and voter repression. He was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship for 2021 to do a major work on climate justice activism. And we have him on this week because he is the impetus behind our theme for this week. So I kind of sat down and talked to him and asked him about his favorite sci-fi and the stuff that really sticks. And he mm-hmm. he told me about China Mievel and the Baslag trilogy. And so what we've done this week, which is the first time we've done it, is really focused on an entire trilogy.
4: Thanks for having me on. Yeah. It's
2: quite a resume, and yet you're here to talk about Weird bug magic. Oh yeah,
4: oh yeah, love it. What I mean, this is a thing to talk about on a Friday. Yeah, it's like monsters that eat your brain, and then the drug that comes out of them. Yeah, is you do there? It's called. I don't know if you can curse on the show, but
2: not it's on, called, on the radio. Yeah. Dream. It's
4: called dream poop. It would be the, <laughs> pro, you know, if I changed the word. Yeah, and basically, people are inhaling the dreams of of this creature. I mean, there's a lot going on in this series. I think my favorite are the
1: weird hand parasites. That that came out of nowhere. (laughs) That was was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. I feel
2: like there's a real, we'll get into every part that we feel like getting into, but there's a real kitchen sink aspect to this book. Where (laughs) Yeah. uh, The book called Perdido Street Station. Yes. uh, Where the author, China Mieville, just had a bunch of crazy, you know, steampunk fantasy, magic, psychic demon ideas and just threw them all in there.
3: Let's start it up. That tendency gets even more exaggerated by the third book, where it seems mm-hmm. like, it's, okay, every single thing in the universe—what, what if that could be a sentient thing?
1: <laughs> yeah. like,
3: yeah. like? Everything's a golem by the
4: yeah. end. Yeah. There's time golems and all kinds of things. I feel and like the second yeah. book.
1: Didn't have as many, like, whoa, 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 what's going on moments. It's a bit more focused. Yeah. Right.
4: It's like this one journey. It's a wild journey, but it is one journey.
3: But there's still a magic statue that you have to uh, make out with for it to (laughs) allow you to travel through different dimensions through the power of perspective.
4: Which is kind of amazing. That's a good point. And it's just awful. Truly awful. Yeah. But he's yeah. the master of these things. Like, you can tell, like, he's a brilliant and creative, brilliant, genius type person. But he's into horror, super into horror, super into steampunk, sci-fi, and, like, sort of D&D style fantasy. And uh, super far left-wing politics. So it's a bonanza. When you're reading a China Mieville book, you're getting a lot.
1: you're listening to the podcast edit of Last Refuge of the Incompetent. To listen to the full episode with all of the music and nothing edited out, just go to lastrefugepod.com for more information or search Last Refuge of the Incompetent on Mixcloud. So before we get too far into it, I wanted to talk a little bit about the music that you might be hearing throughout this episode. Might be. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Might be is uh, really... So I I went down a steampunk music, uh, uh, what's like a byway today, and I really did not enjoy myself. There's really (laughs) terrible steampunk music out there. There's some good stuff, but um, I got a little bit depressed listening to some steampunk music today, but... (laughs) I have tried to pick a few that you might hear. I mean, I think the best one, which I didn't even realize, is Thomas Dolby, which is the She blinded me with science. Uh, Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm just I'm wondering so what more. makes that steampunk exactly.
1: You should watch the video. So it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's all about. A long time. It's, it's <laughs>
3: been a long time since I watched the I, video. Like, which I to science. I'd
4: have to watch it again now because I totally remember <laughs> it, sort of.
1: Yeah. There's some other stuff, I think. I mean, the Dresden dolls are pretty good. So maybe. Oh, yeah. You know, that definitely
3: brings
2: Ted me back to freshman year of college. Biggest
1: face <laughs> in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, Not a yeah. fan. I mean, uh, she, you know. Uh, yeah, not a
3: fan of the band together, or certainly Amanda Palmer separately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: she's pretty uh, intense.
3: I haven't heard most of the stuff on this list. I'll go through it. Maybe there's something that will. Uh, yeah, I don't make think you're gonna like any filter. of it, Ted. It's I'm it's not, not playing chap hop. I'm not. I'm just not doing. Which it. one? What did I? put I'm on? not playing any chap hop. Oh my happening. god, they're
1: so um, bad. Yeah. <laughs> what chap hop is from England? It mixes hip hop with chappis. Is like it, cha- like you're a chap like a ch- like a? Chappy. Is it from
2: England? or? or is it just guys pretending to be
3: old British gentlemen I it, and then I writing a, a hilarious the joke raps about it
1: yeah. it is oh joke raps yeah.
3: it's people yeah. it's like the it's automatically funny when white people rap right Sure yeah, like so, this put on fake Victorianism.
4: So it's just cringe. It's <laughs> mega cringe.
3: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. we
2: cringe. We we've we banished Chap Hop from the playlist. We want all our listeners to know that we considered it and rejected it.
1: Oh, oh. a <laughs> uh, <laughs> Side note: Thomas Dolby is also the creator of the classic Nokia ringtone. So what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was a
2: he's a versatile. Digital, digital music pioneer. Can we um, say pioneer? Yeah. Sure.
1: Sure. You know, why not? I
3: was watching a couple movies by the guy who directed the video for She Blinded Me With Science.
1: Uh, oh wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I <laughs> think deep I, Deep Ted. He
3: we went on to, uh, to do the movie Electric Dreams um, where Yeah,
1: I know that movie. Uh,
3: yeah, well, what's his name? Bud Court voices a uh, horny computer. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys Did you guys watch that one about me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the only thing that I thought was remotely interesting is this guy oh. Thomas True Wax, who builds like weird mechanical instruments, but that doesn't mean that the music he makes is good. That that's <laughs> just
3: the... means that the project is cool. Okay, it was Coneheads. He went on to direct Coneheads. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, we gotta have a heads episode. Oh, he also directed uh, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Uh, oh brilliant movie hmm, we, yeah. can, we can play
3: that Go turtle
1: go turtle go That's steampunk <laughs> right? Also
3: the video for Paul McCartney's uh, A Wonderful Christmas Time <laughs> what? what? Has Ninja yeah. Turtles in it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no just directed by the same Oh the same same right one. Sorry I lost the train of thought <laughs>
1: Ted did you have any inspiration for music for When you were reading I, these books?
3: The only thing I've thought about this is I'm not going to be sure what to play with this uh, So I'm going
1: to have to do some It's tricky you can kind of pick certain things, like you can do, like maybe vampire-related music, maybe robot-related music, automaton-related music, hand parasite. I'm sure there's stuff about hands out there.
4: Sure, <laughs> horrifying. Sure. And
1: yeah. the
4: right, way, the right hand and the left hand are different things. Oh my god, right? yeah, that's so fun. good.
3: And maybe <laughs> some British class struggle music as well. You're. There you go. You're crass. Uh, sure. You're Chumbawamba. Never, oh, well, I that's never true. pass yeah. up a chance to play Chumbawamba on the radio. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Do it. yeah we have played more than once. <laughs> I
4: just had a, a PhD student. His whole dissertation is about crust punk. And he's cool. like, here's the bands you should listen to while reading my dissertation. <laughs> and I was like, I'm totally game. So I'm like listening to nausea and crass <laughs> blasting while reading this complicated, really brilliant dissertation. And I was like, this is a sensory experience. I'm really, if I hadn't had this much fun in a long time. And I learned about these bands that I only tangentially knew.
3: These are great uh, footnotes. I <laughs> just yes, love
5: these footnotes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Aww. Why China Mavel?
1: What about mm-hmm. him speaks to you? you know, I know you sent me that picture, and it was like a whole library section <laughs> that you have devoted to him. Which is yes, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so like. Yeah, Yeah. what's your favorite thing he's written? Oh, man.
4: Yeah, totally. Um, uh, Perdido Street Station was the first book of his I read. And it's one of his earliest, not his first book, but it's one of his first books. And that's the first of the three books in this Baselag series. And I was like, and really as I read it, recommended by one of my best friends. You know, you have that friend who, if they recommend something, you're like, Got to at least try it. And sure yeah. enough, um, because what I love about it is I really think he's he's mixing a really great radical politics with just really great prose style and interesting characters. Right. So he has great ideas. He's mixing in a sort of a class struggle politics with a steampunk fantasy mixture, like this hybrid world that he populates with such detail. That I'm I'm in, I'm in, and I'm in solidarity with the politics. So I'm having fun with the themes. So this is a guy who will have like, you know, there's all kinds of things with demons and creatures that he's invented that eat your mind. And they're, you know, defecation is a drug that is your dreams. I mean, that's really interesting and, and horrible and truly deeply terrifying, <laughs> right? Uh, entertainingly terrifying. But then there's a labor strike going on at the docks in the city where, like, the fish people and the humans are in solidarity trying to win the strike. And it's just not even a thing he makes a big deal of. It's something that's just a subplot. It's part of the world you're living in. And I love that mixture. I think it's really provocative. He takes those politics in a sense for granted like they're not oh how how radical it's just like no that's how we see the world and that's what, even a world like that a fantasy world is going to have class and a fantasy yeah. world will have gender politics that have trouble and, and all that so you know so that's what get it's just a deep dive with every china medieval book to me where uh, he's going to surprise me and he's gonna yeah i think you guys mentioned you did the city in the city right yeah uh, yeah that was and-
2: my favorite i love that one
4: I agree. I like. I. I. I, We're talking about the Baslag series, but I think City in the City is my favorite because of that. You know, it just makes you just think about all the times that we pretend not to see each other for whatever Mm -hmm. social reason. I mean, and and even like looking at Perdido Street Street Station. There's this xenophilia, right? There's like two of the main characters that have this important loving relationship are of different species. It deliberately might trigger some revulsion on the part of the reader in his graphic description of the alien creature, etc, right? But then that's to make you think, well, it, it, you know, in, in the parlance of her times, like, don't yuck someone else's yum. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but they're in love. Back off, right? And so.
3: Yeah, to the
2: listener, she has a scarab for a head. Her head is and a scarab. she's a bug. She's a capri. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know this was very insensitive of me, but I kept thinking of her as fly girl, even though it's a scarab. <laughs> sure. She has for a head. You know. uh, she, she multiple times is described as having a totally smoking human body. Yeah, uh, those were not the author's <laughs> words, but that's what he's getting across.
4: Yeah, so I think he's just cha- he's challenging. I think Charlie Neal is chi- challenging in a good way.
1: So for those of you who do, who aren't familiar with him, he's a British urban fantasy fiction author. He's an essayist. He's a comic book writer. He's a socialist and a political activist and a literary critic. And I think we mentioned this earlier, but he describes his work as weird fiction, which is a perfect, aptly named <laughs> description. Um, yeah it delivers
2: he delivers on that yeah, t- genre title
1: wholeheartedly <laughs> oh, um yeah. although it's weird but it's not weird structurally do you know what i mean it, right. it's a pretty straightforward there's straightforward stories i'm it, trying to forget it's not like
3: samuel delaney's doll yeah where, yeah exactly uh, it's so experimental in the prose that you have trouble like even following what's going on concretely in the narrative yeah uh, although in the third book there's sort of a middle section where the It jumps backward in time. Right. And it feels like the prose definitely gets more experimental in that period, but it's not, like, hard to follow. We talked about, months back now, we talked about how, like, J.G. Ballard has such a, like, strong prose style, and Mievel's not quite as refined. I'd say, like, he's extremely inventive, like, he's Mm -hmm. constantly just trying Mm -hmm. to find new ways to write things. And sometimes it just falls flat like uh, there was- yeah. I'll
2: say I'll say in this book, my wife and I we listened to it. On, uh, we were in the car a lot and so we listened to the audiobook read by another another British man who did a great job.
1: That I he- listened to that audiobook it was really good. yeah um, yeah but
2: when you hear it read, you hear the words that get repeated a lot, it's like, A (laughs) glutinous. Desultory. (laughs) It's like, oh, the children were desultorily playing along the riverbank. Is that how they were playing? And it's just again and again he kept using those words, and Uh it was uh, Uh, was funny.
3: There's
2: just plenty of inventive stuff in the book. It's just funny what jumps out at you. Yeah, you'll
3: have that, like, inventive prose, and then, like, he'll call something like a gorilla made out of shade, and they'll be like, oh, well, that didn't work. Uh, you know, yeah, he's just, like, swinging at everything and getting a lot of home runs. Yeah, and I, I think, would say that's the
2: big thing about this book. <laughs> it swings at everything. Even, Oops, sorry, and even
3: the repetition can sometimes, like, uh, have a like a clear purpose in that he's sort of building this alternate reality through the language. So, like, he starts using this word poissance, which is, like, French for power, over and over again. And, like, through repetition, he sort of establishes that this is a kind of a force that is different from what we have in our world. And, yeah, I've mostly read his nonfiction, a lot of the stuff he writes for Salvage, which is a communist journal he's also an editor of. Uh So I was sort of coming into this, not having read his fiction, like, thinking, like, okay, where is he putting his communism in? <laughs> and it it kind of feels like with his style, he's almost trying to, like, write the contingency of history directly through the contingency of language. Because a lot of the creativity in his language is just, like, this thing we have could be called something else. It's not a neon sign. It's electro-barometrical uh, <laughs> something but that's, rather But that's,
1: like, a super <laughs> steampunky sort of See, and I, I mean, you know what I mean? It is right, kind
3: of, right. and I think his work is undeniably steampunk adjacent. It's mm-hmm. a, one thing that makes it more interesting than the, like, basic steampunk premise that, like, what if history continued from this arbitrary technological yeah. cutoff is that the way he writes, it's almost more like, it's not just what if things proceeded from a earlier technological point, it's what if they proceeded from an earlier like conceptual point so it's like mm-hmm. instead of writing science fiction he's writing natural philosophy fiction but then he adds in all these magical elements but puts them in like the same scientific framework that uh you know the actual 19th century or whatever would have so you have right. magic but of course they work using thaumaturjons uh, right, just like right. electricity works with oh. electrons.
4: all in the same web of corruption. Like, certain things are, you might even just say co- conventionally depicted, but, like, the corrupt politicians, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. But there's magic and unbelievable creatures, etc.
2: Uh, I really enjoyed, the in the first book, the main character, the scientist... Mm-hmm. De Grim Nebulin. He's got his grand unified theory of sociology and science and magic are the three corners of the triangle and then there's a unified they're all manifestations of the same crisis like, energy okay. crisis, uh, which yeah. is so crisis. good. It's just like the perfect you know, a 19th century science or earlier, like the balance of the humorous type of science or phylogisting yeah. <laughs> and calcs. You, you ever read about that in like high school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean
5: that,
3: yeah. It, it also feels like so extremely specifically Marxist. Like mm. he's writing a universe where possibly the underlying force is contradiction, right? <laughs> right. Which is just <laughs> built into everything and is the motive force of not just history, but like. You know, the, 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 Meta- ladder, physics, the ladder that's about to fall over. <laughs> well, if it's about to fall, that gives it the energy to make a right.
2: lot of noise when it does fall. Well, in the scar,
4: there's the technology from another civilization that's like about probability. So your your weapon, oh, yeah. your sword is probably here, but it might be right. here or there. I'm Ooh, gesturing the up my <laughs> yeah. <Yes>.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> And I'm,
3: I thought it particularly interesting that one of the characters even has a sort of thought as an aside that the Possibility that underlies this technology throws into question the crisis theory um, Mm. that the earlier character brings up because they dated uh, not in any of the books, but oh yeah, she's no,
1: doesn't he mention? He mentions her briefly. Yeah, she's briefly
3: she's mentioned Ah. in the first book, then becomes the central character of the second, but she never appears in the first. She's just
1: Bellis Coldwine.
3: Yes, so it's yeah, I found it very interesting that he sets up this kind of very Marxist concept as a underlying force in the first book and then like undercuts it and throws down onto it in the second one um just a
1: little bit more about him he he one of the things that's really interesting is that he has this like grand plan to write a novel in every genre which what is every genre but you know like every <laughs> you know genre you can think of so uh iron council which is the third book in the boss Leg series is kind of like this Western sort of Western meet. Ooh, I just said Western meets steepsug. It's a wild, wild West. Um- <laughs> no,
5: no. <laughs> Gasp! Gasp! Again.
1: Um, uh, you know, he's got I mean, like zap. this <laughs> sequest pirate sort of world in the scar, which is the second book. And then right. like we mentioned, the city in the city is this very detective noir procedural, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's kind of cool to see him take his weird, worlds and put them within accepted genres.
4: One thing that I I like about it it, that is true in in many different of his novels, not everyone, but it's that uh, he truly seems to love big cities and he just relishes the idea of cities, right? So in, of course, New Crobazon is this amazing London-like heart of an empire City with all these different neighborhoods, and he 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 repeat he repeatedly has characters wander through them because it's plot related, but also so you get to learn the city and you learn the different neighborhoods and how they flow into each other and the ethnicities and class conflicts in the city. And he wants you to know his city that he invented. And then, like in the Scar, the floating pirate city of Armada, I yeah. really liked it. It's a bun. It's a flotilla city of captured vessels all tied together different neighborhoods factions characters of each he i just really enjoyed that and then you look at his historical book october about the russian revolution and he's getting into the geography of the of moscow you know and getting into that history because it's where the battle starts and he just he's he's a he has a particularly love for cities and even like in one of his short stories, there's autonomous streets that are living creatures <laughs> and they move around and fight each other and, and mate. And they so then the streets connect different regular streets and, and it's just <laughs> amazing. I just love the idea of fighting streets, wiggling through a city.
3: I definitely don't see many fantasy novels that begin with a discussion of how like the cool neighborhood has been gentrified and how the <laughs> artists have to move somewhere else. Right, I did right. read.
1: I read somewhere that he like kind of despises Tolkien. I mean, and... that would make
4: sense, wouldn't it? Though that makes yeah. sense, right?
1: I think partly, yeah. partly he despises him just in the sense that like it's pigeonholed fantasy into like a, a, a very particular. Everybody's just repeating Tolkien over and over again.
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was also politically reactionary and like exactly. You know, yeah. characters and plots mm-hmm. in Tolkien are very different from characters and plot in Meville. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah.
4: For sure. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's been said before, but yeah, Tolkien uh, was pretty right-wing in many yeah. ways. And like the ra- the racial politics and the class politics, right? Then you look at different, I mean, just that makes you think of like, uh, what's the guy, what's the Game of Thrones guy who has R.R.? George R.R. Martin, right? <laughs> so he loved Tolkien, but didn't think he was harsh enough. So he's his Game of Thrones is like, what if it was Tolkien, but with realpolitik?
5: Right, so he right. took
4: it in that direction of wanting to improve on Tolkien. And Mieville's just totally like having none of it I and mean, wants, a, wants a radical, you know, progressive form.
2: Which is not, I mean, these books are also gritty and violent and gory. Totally the Baslag right. books. Yeah, oh they're definitely God. not
3: about necessarily good outcomes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, no, no one.
1: Absolutely, <coughs> one ends
3: not. up. Uh, nothing gets resolved. <laughs>
1: no, no <laughs> I mean,
3: he's
2: there's literally. Like,
1: there's like a. I, I don't want to say happy ending, uh-huh. but there's an ending in Prettiest Street Station that the you know the main character is alive.
5: Right, he survived.
4: Survival is victory in his world. Yeah. It's like it's a really good. harsh, harsh game of D and D. With yeah. a dungeon, if I may nerd out on that for a second, like, a DM who, like, if you lived, you did a great job. That's the Beable's book. Well, so Beable
1: is a big fan of, of D&D and similar RPGs. And the, uh, I did this, this is a fun fact. Apparently, the player's handbook for the fifth edition of d d cites Perdido Street Station as a source of inspiration for the game cool. designers.
4: That's great. That's yeah. great. I didn't know that. And so I played that version, and I should mm-hmm. know that.
5: But,
4: okay. I mean,
1: <laughs> um, so great. this world, all of his books are set in this world called Baslog, and in particular, the city of New Crobazon is very important because it's like the biggest city in this earth. The big, you know, center of economics and you know, it's London. It's London. Yeah. It's basically London. It's basically Victorian London. Um, yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah, the whole... I, I think the, the coolest thing is that, like, anything can be sentient. <laughs> anything you encounter has sentience. And so that's I think... There's no, there's no like, distinction of races, but there is a distinction of, um, you know, that's a mosquito person. Let me tell you about what they're like. <laughs> right. Um,
4: and, but even that, like, and he makes the... I like the twist. is like, with the mosquito people... They're totally horrifying and they will just suck you dry and just die because they're huge. Yeah. But then once they have fed and killed your friend, you remember the scene, some of you, like like they, one of them is just trying to talk to them. They can't talk anymore. Yeah. So not, once they're not starving, they are actually trying to communicate and have a conversation with you because they're not hungry and they can't. Yeah. So you almost feel bad for them.
1: So yeah, these are the two that. So so in yeah. the Scar, which is the second book, so there's three books: Prodigy, Illustration, The Scar, and Iron Council. And in the yeah. Scar, they end up on this island populated by these mosquito people. They're kind. It's kind of like a ghetto for these mosquito people because centuries ago, the mosquito people got really strong and murdered a bunch of people, and it wasn't good. But they're yeah. separated by sex. the 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 women are are blood sucking, and the men are, are herbivores. And so there's, like, a huge distinction in between how they relate to everything else. And so the men are kind of peace-loving. They're just really into learning, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and then the women are so consumed by their hunger that they're not able to actually think rationally. And But they know what they're doing. And at the same time, they, they the one of the men say, like, they don't really want to be doing what they're doing they have to do what they're doing basically
4: one thing that is a challenge for a, a sort of bolshevik writer if i could use that phrase is like he and yet he doesn't want to seem overly idealistic so you never see a victory a final victory right and i think that's the that's the tough spot that a writer like China medieval is in. He wants that the critical politics.
1: Even in Iron Council, which is like his most probably overtly political one of these books. Yeah.
4: There's a revolution and it is crushed. And then there's the ending is this, you know, spoiler alert, but there is like, at the ending, you have this image of the Iron Council, which so clearly evokes Trotsky and his armored train going around Russia, winning the civil war against the reactionaries, but it's a fantasy version, you know, so fine. But then it's like this frozen... They get frozen in time because they were going to be defeated. So maybe they'll melt the time gollum will just, and then they'll be going into a victory someday. But meanwhile, it's like this romanticized image of the vanguard going into a fight that is sort of doomed in the moment, but exciting to look at in that moment. And this is just, just a, to me, it's a very ambivalent message. It's like China medieval doesn't want to say, "Yeah, the revolution is going to win," because he has no such con. You know, it would almost seem arrogant in in, in this time. But he doesn't want to have them be slaughtered either. And I don't know. I almost think that's for him. I'm going to freeze it and we'll, let's save this till a better time, a more advantageous time. So he's, so I guess my point is, uh, what is that expression like? It's easier for, I forget who wrote this, darn it, but a very important writer was like, it's easier for us to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. (laughs) That's what
1: Ursula Kayla Guin. Thank you. Well, then she said that in her speech.
3: No, it's not that exact phrase. It's a similar. I probably
4: uh, mangled it. I think. Uh,
3: No, I think you use the same phrase. There's just a lot of a. um, uh, Oh, here we
1: go. Oh, Slavoj Žižek also is on there.
3: He, I think Slavoj Žižek ascribes it to, like, says he's getting it from Frederick Jameson, and Frederick Jameson says he's getting it from someone else. Um, So it's possible (laughs) he. And, like, nobody's been able to track it before the Jameson bit, so it's possible yeah. he just made it up and then ascribed it to uh, another person. Or that's maybe. great. I'll choose to believe the
2: original quotation is from Dolly Parton. <laughs> nice.
3: That's great. If we get to
2: choose, then I'm choosing that. I, that's a good
4: Saint, Saint Dolly. But
2: so then that, to me, is this
4: interesting thing, and I don't know if I want to call it a failure of imagination, because this is one of the most imaginative writers I've read recently. But, like, he can imagine again all these creatures that like he can imagine smoke that turns into mist and then solidifies around your body as rock and then you're stuck in the rock he can imagine all these unbelievable things and he can't imagine the vanguard of the revolution triumphing (laughs) in a way or he or he doesn't he's a do you know what i mean like yeah
3: yeah.
4: and maybe that makes sense in a way but it's bittersweet
3: yeah that that ending that ending image in Iron Council definitely feels like it's Mayville saying this is how I feel about the Russian Revolution more or less. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. On uh, on his magazine Salvage, I mean it's not just his, he's one of the editors, on their about page uh, it says, Salvage has earned its pessimism. There's much to be pessimistic about. Hope is still precious. It must still be rationed. <laughs> uh, it does get to That's... sort of the vibe. Uh, sure you. The Log trilogy. Aww.
1: Perdido Street Station, Mabel himself described it as basically a secondary world fantasy with Victorian era technology. So rather than being a feudal world, it's an early industrial capitalist world of a fairly grubby police statey kind. And yeah. Moses, what's the name of the. I can't say his name. Grimnebulin? I Isaac
2: Der Grimnebulin. <laughs> <laughs> we should all
4: change our name can we as a performance art piece all four of us change our names to that
2: (laughs) I don't know if I can fill out paperwork even if it's for a performance art piece
4: (laughs) it's a lot there are these guys in, in in the Czech Republic I believe who all changed their name to the same name as the current politician that they were, and they all ran for office. And so there's four people with as a performance art piece, and it just confused everyone. So maybe that's our future is in politics, prank politics, I don't know. A performance artist in New York did a whole thing in court to change her name to her name. (laughs) <laughs> and the, and as and and the judge and she recorded it or at least transcribed it and the judge was like, "Are you pulling a prank on me? I'm the judge. I take this very seriously." And she was like, "No, I just it's like hitting the refresh button. I don't want to really change my name, but I want to change my name to my name. You know what I mean? Like, clear the, and the judge was like, "Okay, I get it. Yeah, like they actually had this nice dialogue. Okay, I need an
2: official record of the identity operation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Right there. laughs> What struck me as the most overtly, maybe in Mievel's idea of a utopian society, was the world of the Garudas. Yeah. In Perdido Street Station.
2: The bird people.
1: The bird people. Yeah, the bird people. That sound and act just like a bird person would, <laughs> honestly. <laughs>
2: yeah, the guy audio so, the audiobook The guy does a great bird voice. Bird yeah. Oh my god, it's so <laughs> Now weird. I want to hear this, really. Okay. Can you do it wow. with us? Uh, yeah, so the bird man's name is Yacharek. It's yeah. like... Isaac, I am here to ask for your help. Only oh, <laughs> you can fix my wings. <laughs> and so on.
4: Yeah. Uh, I, I just love the idea of an aerial species that's sentient, as you say, fully sentient. So the biggest crime, I guess they're kind of anarchistic, the essential crime. All crimes are a different form of denying others' choice. That's That's the core crime. Because they can fly in any direction they want. Like, that's just the thing. And in the end, it turns out his crime was sexual assault, right? And that's the that's why he was cast down.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting scene where it's at the most of the plot has already finished. And then he's sort of confronted by the victim of his yeah. Garuda client. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, well, it was rape. And he's like, oh, that's bad. And then she <laughs> insists, like, that's what you would call it. But that's not how we understand it. It's just one form of denying Like choice, it's the
2: second worst form of it, and the worst one is murder. But you can't (laughs) call it rape and murder. These are like he really tries to frame it as it's a foreign value system, and it's very difficult to do that without just making it different language over the exact same value system. Yeah, but he gives it a good shot of trying to say no, no, no. These these bird people, they truly do envision every interaction as who is allowing who to choose what.
4: Well, th- that's one of his themes he tries to get at, I think, in a few books is like, I know it's impossible as humans to reproduce a non-human way of thinking because we just got <laughs> – but I'm going to try really hard. So, like, he has a book, Embassy Town, that's in space and this alien planet that humans and other creatures live on. But the, the host species think in a different way and they literally – they can't speak in lie or – they can't lie or do metaphor. So, they cannot deliberately lie. And so, if they want to use a metaphor, they have to have you, like a person, do something strange. And then they can allude to it as it's like when he <laughs> ate the thing around the corner and then he tripped. And there was, oh, I get your, because they can't metaphorize. They have to have somebody do it. But I just thought that was really fun, right? So, he, yep. he loves to try to think up different. What, what would an alien mindset actually be?
5: Yeah,
2: and yeah. that theme so, comes up again and again for us, for all our, our uh, things Because yeah, we've, we've yeah. had, like, the plant intelligence episode, and our oh, yeah. next one's going to be bug intelligence, more or less.
3: The uh, embassy yeah, we... town metaphor thing sounds kind of like a Darmok and gelad, but if all of the things were, like, improv uh, skits, <laughs> 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 Darmok and Jalad on demand. <laughs> <laughs>
2: For anyone listening who is not very familiar with that particular episode of Star Trek the Next Generation, it's just Picard and an alien trying to communicate.
3: And the alien only speaks in sort of historical allusions to things that happen, so their entire language is allusioned. Yeah, and so the
2: Federation's translator doesn't know what to do. Like these are all proper nouns, Jean Luc. I don't
3: know what he's trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm translating it for you, he's saying a Dharma
1: Jalad at Tanagra." Oh. not to give too much away, but Der Grimnebulin.
2: (laughs) Grimnebulin.
1: Zach. Zach Zach is a um, he's a scientist. He's a renegade rogue scientist.
3: A a heterodox independent (laughs) scientist. (laughs) Yeah. Nice.
1: Um, And uh, he's approached by this Garuda, this bird man. Whose wings have been cut off, and he's like, "I want to learn how to fly again." And Zach's like, "Let's let's try and figure out crisis energy to make you fly." In the meantime, though, let's try and figure out some more conventional means.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask, ask a criminal to give me one of everything with wings. Yeah, one, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so he gets a lab full of horrible tiny birds, right? And he like, right. what could go them. wrong? <laughs> Uh, and that, that really does go nowhere, but it's also an, an extremely uh, medieval type of science. It's so funny. Oh, right. absolutely. Right.
1: But he, he gets a grub, and that grub ends up being a, a terrible monster.
3: A species that um, eats mines and then yeah. uh, makes a food for its uh, offspring that is like concentrated dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like the minds that have been consumed, uh, which... It's also a great drug if uh, you can water it down, because you can experience other people's dreams and thoughts, which is why a uh, crime lord has captured a bunch of these things.
1: Well, in in cahoots with the um, corrupt mayor of New Crobazon. Yeah,
2: the
3: government was like, "We the, these seem too dangerous." Corrupt mayor we need May, May, sell mayor, them.
2: mayor Red Gutter, right? <laughs> yeah, what a
4: corrupt mayor name. of the Fat Sun Party, right? Isn't yeah. it a strange name? Red yeah. Gutter. I
1: mean. I think my favorite character I just remembered is the Weaver in in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
2: more transdimensional beings.
4: Another yeah. alien mindset. Yeah, yeah,
1: multi-dimensional spider that speaks in free verse poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so
3: good. It's this a regular spider that long ago was transformed by this force called Torque, which is kind of like if nuclear radiation was magic. Wow, um, yeah. right, that's right. And yeah. they've become this species that travels through. Across dimensions, it just wants to make things as most like make reality as aesthetically pleasing.
2: It, I mean, it, it really can. is if Deus Ex Machina were just a character, <laughs> right? Like, right. well, I ch- I would like to make the weave a better plot for this story, so I'm <laughs> yes. just going to come in
3: and transport these characters, yes, <laughs> yes, but. Yes.
4: but and uh, the- the antagonist is going to make the world less interesting, so mm. I'll go against them. Yeah.
3: One, of my, one of my favorite bits in that first book is when the government uh, has realized it's a crisis and is not sure what to do, but they're so scared of the weaver, they decide to literally try to negotiate with hell first.
1: Yeah,
2: yes. they come to a demon and say, help us yes.
5: out.
1: Yes. So the, de- the demons are like... No, 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 thank you. No, thanks. Sounds
4: great. Mostly, be- but-
1: which was interesting because they have their sentient, thinking creatures and are scared of these slake moths. Basically, is the name of yeah. the the monster. They're just as scared of them, so they're like, "We're gonna just stay down here,
2: just stay in hell." (laughs) Yes, yeah. And
1: then when they go to the Weaver, there were some funny moments when they go to the Weaver, and they're like, "Do you have your scissors? Do you have your scissors ready?" Because he's really into scissors now. We don't know why. (laughs) Yes,
3: that's right. Oh my gosh! (laughs) And then he decides to cut most of the characters' ears off.
1: (laughs)
0: Another
1: good kind of. I thought interesting way to deal with artificial artificial intelligence in a steampunk world was his 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 these constructs that yeah get Little like steam a robots. virus yeah and they um did you like that Moses that's you let like, you're in a robot robot you're stuff. a
2: nerd you like that <laughs> 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 I thought it was kind of funny how he, he really spent a long time describing the uh, steam switches inside the robot's mind and how yeah hey, that's a circuit why not Rage. oh sure. you know what I will say. The part that that dragged the most is where he spends. Maybe it's because I was listening, and so it felt like I couldn't skip ahead because it felt like it was a whole hour of just laying cable across the city. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, that so dragged. Long. That like, dragged.
5: Like, that like totally I get it. Yeah,
2: it's hard to lay cable to connect some electricity <laughs> mind currents around, but. Yeah, you're, you're all going to tell me that, and then they walk to this neighborhood and plug these two cables to each other, yeah. and
4: then Chino says, "Look, labor creates all value. I want to honor the labor in my story." What going for, but, <laughs> but that doesn't mean. But then it's laborious to read. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: And yeah. yeah, and you're exploring the city. It's a dervay.
4: There you go. There you go. The Situationists
2: would love it. It's
3: just invent Wi-Fi already, guys. Home fest, home. I also find that it's funny that just like you get a lot of like differently worded scientific concepts or inventions by an Iron Council, you get a differently worded version of like Marxist lingo. So you have a sort of more insurrectionary character complain about one of the socialist sort of intellectual groups by saying... We're interested in the toil concept of worth or grasp of the swag slump tendency <laughs> nice. and whatnot. Right. That's right.
1: The So the scar is the second. I mean, I don't want to give away too much of Perdita Street. So mm-hmm. we'll just mm-hmm. move on to the scar, guys. It's um, also,
2: it's a kitchen sink of a bunch of stuff and there's no oh, resolution. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. You read it
2: because uh-huh. some
3: crazy stuff happens. That's why you
2: read it.
4: Right. And you're hoping somebody survives.
5: <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: The, the, uh, I mean, I'd say in that one, like the heroes do save the day more or less. There's. Right. A central narrative. They save, narrative. They save yeah. a... Ce- there's a central narrative line that gets more or less resolved. But That's right. also yeah. a lot of other stuff going on. Sure. And casualties.
4: So, yeah. One
2: casualties.
1: of the things that connects the scar to the first book, Prudita Street, is this idea of the remades, which is... Um,
2: Gross corporal
1: punishment. Yes. Yeah. So if you, if you do a crime, which in this society, a lot of things are considered crimes, <laughs> right. um, you are thaumaturgically, magically reconstructed into a new creature or yourself, but with like, a second head, or your dead, your dead baby's arm grafted onto you, like in the scar, this guy, they don't explain his crime, and they don't explain why, but the Tanner sack, it, it just has like octopus tentacles coming out of his chest. And then you're essentially the lowest of society. You're, you're in the scar. What's happened is you're all, they're all remade prisoners that are being sent to this new colony to be, become slave later, labor, essentially. In, yeah. They're all
3: basically car, like carceral slaves. Um, yeah.
1: In, in uh, New Crobazon, a lot of the remade are like taxicabs. cabs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, you can um, be
3: made into a mechanical horse. A yeah. lot of the results seem to be like, judges have decided they were somehow metaphorically, like, the remaking is connected to the crime and
2: some
1: right.
3: yeah.
2: way. you got have a nice, ironic punishment by horribly disfiguring them with magic. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so the, the scar takes place on the sea. It takes place on a, a uh, what's the... a water world-type world? Type world? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, That's right.
4: And they're going um, towards the colony. New is on which probably will not make the world a better place. New Carbazon is colonizing and setting Nova up Nova Spirium. and uh, so it's kind of you're like, oh boy, they're exporting that wonderful social system. <laughs> this yeah. is not so good. But uh, but they're on a boat going there, right, with um, prisoners and exiles Some or people fleeing. Yeah,
1: among them is a woman named Bellis Coldwine who becomes the principal or the I guess she is the main character. She's
3: also she's the narrator because the whole thing yeah. is yeah. like a letter she's writing. So. Right. Yeah or most of And
1: um, and then surprise surprise they are raided and captured by a, a pirate navy that belongs Our. to this world called the Armada. Essentially are like, listen, now everybody's equal here, remade or and citizen or citizens, everybody's equal, but you can never leave. Right. I mean, we'll kill you if you leave. So We're right.
2: we're not going to play any pirate rap, are we?
1: <laughs> Is that <laughs> oh. a thing? Is
2: that a thing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Wow.
3: Might play some actual shanties. Not gonna play pirate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> unless you mean like the um, style of like a uh, hugh uh, funk that's played uh, that was played oh. on like pirate radio stations. Oh, no, no pirate radio is cool. cool. You know. I think we're allowed to say that on KCSV ninety-one point <laughs> <laughs> nine. I in Santa Barbara, <laughs> <laughs> pirate radio is cool. But no people doing uh, uh, like a vasty buck me Hardy's. Wrap, <laughs> not gonna happen. Yeah, pass. I'm glad y'all. Hey,
4: there's some no, not past this line that y'all, have, <laughs> yeah. which is really. <laughs> this I is a show that. with standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: all fest, all fest. One
1: of the things that they talk more about, they 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 mention them, and they exist in the world of New Crobazon and Perdita Street Station. But the cactus eye, the cactus people have. More yeah. Oh, good, s- they come back. S- Oh, right, yeah, I should oh, yeah. say I only
2: read the first one. <laughs> yeah, that no. mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah. They're they're they ex- they exist in this world. They're kind of just surly pirates. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> and,
3: and they're go. real strong and you know, yeah. big, it's thick, it's and woody. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, and yeah. there's like crayfish people too, as well. There's more like you know sea type sentience that exists. Yeah.
3: And
4: vampires, aren't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. the, the Brucolac.
3: Yeah, also a, like a distant land that's run by the undead. That's um, right. Yeah. That's right. It's like here. a zombie world.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, and different
4: yeah. seas, different with different names that have different character characteristics. Like if you go into a different sea, everything's even time moves more slowly, or it has weird, you know, uh, unpredictable elements. You know, so the, the sea travel. You get a sense is also affected by the fantasy of the world, and, but I, I liked, you know, there are things about this rules of the sea and the espionage. There's real like espionage in the storyline oh, yeah. and Silas treachery, and I think good. it's neat because Coldwine is the super judgy cold character who's very yeah. tough. She's a tough character, which yeah. is great, but then it's like, oh, but she can be manipulated too, just like anyone else. Yeah,
1: I yeah, actually, I, I, I um. I got to the point where you find out that Silek Fennec is a bad man. Yeah. It felt really bad for <laughs> yeah. all the other characters that were just, like, uh, they were so sincere. Yes.
3: That's how they get you. The ending of the book is kind of, it's an unusual ending, and it does feel anticlimactic. But, I mean, yeah. you mentioned earlier Neville um, kind of hating J.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And I can sort of imagine it, that plot ending being kind of sort of his... Critique of like I mean, the mythic quest or like that will to right. power, like mm-hmm. we're going to get this great thing that does everything. And <laughs> right. we get there, it's like no, it's literally a scar in reality itself. Yes. What yeah. do you think is? What do you think you're going to be able to do with it? Right. What's yeah. the good part?
4: What's the <laughs> useful part? That's right. That's right. Beyond I understand mean, exactly. And actually, but I love the, just the mechanics of summoning this Avonk. This thing oh, that's yeah. so out of scale, and he's able to capture its out of scale in some ways to me.
3: Like yeah. It's I mean, a giant I, fish that comes from a literal hole in reality at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Yeah, sinkhole, yeah.
4: I mean, it's one of the great images of Moby Dick, is you're looking over the boat, and you see this little white thing, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and you realize it's Moby Dick <laughs> from really way below, coming <laughs> to kill you, coming straight up below you, and it's enormous. But it starts as a little white dot, and just the way he describes it is the same kind of fear that gets into your
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for me the most overtly political part of this book is the relationship that the remade have with the the, the people, the free people that were on the boats with them, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. and just the way that the so the remade are like, why would we mm-hmm. ever leave? <laughs> what we, there's nothing for us out of this place here we can we, we here we can be truly remade we can be you know
4: yes yeah. well it, and it evokes the real anarchist history of pirates in the hundreds of years ago right where it was a, a pirate ship hundreds of years ago was a I mean, you could critique it, but it was a refuge of the cast out and the oppressed, right? And some pirate ships were running in semi-anarchistic fashion. I I, I think you're right. That idea of, and by the way, they capture the ship. And isn't that, I thought that was an interesting detail. And it's clearly the way the pirates do it. They do execute the officers, the captain and the lieutenant. They're like, we'll never get these guys to be trustworthy because they are super elite officers right there yeah they they gotta go which i thought was ruthless and scary but made sense yeah. everyone else you get the same deal and the more oppressed you are the better deal it is
1: yeah mm-hmm. the, the the just the like you know young navy soldiers they get put into re-education camps and if they come out on the other side willing to live here then great and if they don't we don't know what happens to them <laughs>
4: right probably <laughs> yeah. not great
1: yeah <laughs>
3: Yeah. yeah, I think it would have been really easy for a lot of left-wing authors to write this floating pirate city as a kind of egalitarian utopia, mm. and he really avoids that. It's like, no, yeah. this is sort of basically like a mercantile entity that is stealing stuff from people constantly all over, yeah. but it's constructed by these people who were again, like carceral slaves in their old society. Of course, I've every reason to abandon that, but there's still like a politics of the various yeah. neighborhoods in this little oh, city. Yeah. Heavy duty
4: factions yeah. fighting. Absolutely.
3: For control. Yeah. Adds up yeah. it adds up to this kind of municipal ad that then yeah. gets transformed by this obsessive quest to find this amazing power of the rift that is too big for you. <laughs> it's just yeah. not
4: good. Right. But that's right. And I mean I, I but there he's documenting and having fun with the idea that inevitably there are going to be factions, right, in, in a new order, and how does one faction impose its will by hook or by crook on the rest, if if that happens, right? And you kind of watch that storyline.
1: And then we have the Iron Council, which is. A very overtly political novel. It's the
3: one most directly about class struggle, certainly.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. That's
3: the background of most of the. it's a background, to, especially the first one, also somewhat of the second one, but it's at the forefront of the third one.
1: And then it brings back, eventually it brings back, underground newspaper, Renegade Rampant, that was um, yeah, basically shut down in the first the first book, and that kind of returns in the third one. Yeah,
4: and I thought what was interesting to me, one of the things that's interesting to me, like, yes, it evokes, like I mentioned, the Trotsky train symbolism of the civil war in Russia, right? But but then also he's he's pointing out the power of culture and the power of myth. Like the Iron Council, it's a moving train. I, mean, I love the fantasy of we take the rails from the back, we put it in the front, like mm-hmm. It would be so much better to just have a tank, but they don't have a tank. Okay. So it's a train with a limited amount of track and it's such a organized collective. They can actually keep it moving with this one set of rails. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's also a metaphor for something. Right. And then, but like, why does the new Carbazon militia want to destroy it? It's just one group of revolutionaries who ran away, but it's the threat of their example for everyone back home. They're like we got to get them, you know, and and that to me, I think there is something to that. That the power of example or myth is sometimes outsized, uh, disproportionately powerful.
3: One one theme that runs throughout a lot of these books, um, it's sort of, it's not it complements the kind of pessimism or uh, rationed hope. It's that often the the like hero protagonists end up saving the system that they're against. In the first book, the renegade scientist ends up saving the city um, from this uh, threat while being hunted by the police. Uh, in the third one, the revolutionaries save the city from this war that the ruling class started and they have, nobody has any idea that they did it and they didn't mean mm-hmm. to save the ruling structure but they still had to in order to save the city that they you know, are still so attached to even if it's terrible to them.
4: That's a tough, and that's a, there's, we're often put in that position, right? Like, I feel like the, I think uh, social movements are often put in that position. It's like, well, this is terrible, but before we can get to something better, we have to avoid the even worse. Mm-hmm. And and some folks refuse that logic, right? And they just don't participate uh, in that dynamic. Which is understandable, but yeah, like we're we're in that now with climate disaster in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, can is climate disaster the crisis by which the only way through it is to totally change things, or is it this reformist thing? We're like, we want to do more than that, but if we're going to live through the next fifty years, we have to radically reform the system despite itself. Which may actually re-empower the ruling elite in the, in the, in so doing, but we won't all die. But that's that's too bad, isn't
2: it? I would agree that it's too bad.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: the, that's as profound as I'm getting today. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Official position of the show. That's too it's, bad. This is too bad. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think that's where we ended up on our climate episode as well. Yeah, it's too this
4: is just is a drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do think that's a good point. Like. He doesn't want to seem naive as a radical author, and he doesn't want to give you this happy-go-lucky situation. The rationed hope is such a great quote. But what is the way? If again, if you can imagine undead and mosquito people and cactus people, you can't. But can we imagine a successful rebellion? You know, or a successful revolution? It's, it's
3: tricky. <laughs> it is easier to imagine a golem made out of time than yes! just to imagine the end of capitalism. <laughs> yes, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> So what did we learn this
1: week, folks? What?
2: Maybe if- part of it is that it's just hard to write that ending and then have it sound good to the reader. Like, I imagine that, sure, there's a draft where you wrote the happy ending or some writers, many writers have tried this and then realize, you know, I, you know, I can't communicate this honestly. And maybe this part isn't even up to me, the writer. This part is up to you, the reader. Like, please, you got to fix this part. <laughs> you, <laughs> yes. you imagine
3: what the next step is because I, I blew it. <laughs> can't yeah. get
4: there. I'm I'm on the mountaintop, but I can't get there with you.
3: Yeah. yeah. This is a this is not a lesson. It's just a little detail that I enjoyed from my council, which is just like taking the magic um, framework and putting it into the little details of the life world. Is that uh like the people who are with the tr- moving train? Uh, he mentions that they're making hexed moonshine. Like yeah. of course if you were like making custom alcohol, yeah, you'd put some magic on it to uh oh, yeah. make it work better. The
4: metaphysical buzz. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a whole new element.
1: I learned that the steampunk music genre is trash.
2: <laughs> yeah, you should <laughs> email John and Mayville about this.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think he listens to steampunk music. No. I mean maybe yeah, but he does, you should but... Tell
2: him that it's your fault that
3: you
1: had to listen to it.
3: Yeah, I don't know it's enough. It's his about, fault that you had to I don't know enough about like the history of steampunk to know like where he like how influential Boss Log is to its creation, mm-hmm. or if he oh. just like took some of the aesthetic. From it. I've been to a Maker's
1: Fair. Have you guys been to a Maker's Fair before? Those are steampunk <laughs> parties. One yes.
3: one more recent work um, that I'd also played recently that felt like it had a lot of medieval in it is um disco elysium uh which is this rpg that came out a year or two ago it's written by like an estonian novelist you play like an alcoholic detective and it's it's um it's like an rpg where you have stats um but they're things like savoir faire or electrochemistry yeah we need to play this one yeah and it's yeah, it sounds like about fun this one too. It's done yeah. entirely through like conversation trees uh but your your character stats will determine like what things you detect what things you can say. It's Sorry. set in this sort of dreamlike quasi Europe uh where this and it's in this city where a revolution happened and was then put down um and you're sort of living in the ruins being this I'll cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and
5: kind
3: there's of some,
1: Are you? That's the uh, tagline. <laughs> the tagline, nice.
5: <laughs> and
3: there's also these sort of magical, metaphysical elements that seep into it. Uh, but class struggles at the front. They had uh, felt. I had played it just before I started reading these, and it felt like the medieval uh, influence was very strong there. I wonder, like,
4: if he could put, if China Mieville could mix October, his revolutionary history with one of these books you know so the wandering living streets that fight and 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 all the other fantasy elements with with a a revolution that happened i don't know yeah i would love to i'm gonna continue to read everything he writes i will tell you (laughs) Mm that you know i just can't i'm addicted it's over i lost the fight and i just want to keep you know it's it's, yeah
2: i want to read more essays where he uses the word frizzle
4: (laughs) (laughs) well even like the last days of new paris Is this wonderful book where the Nazis occupy Paris and the surrealist paintings become their weird images and attack the Nazis? And I'm just like, come on, this guy just keeps writing. I love it. So, you
5: know,
4: he's wonderful. So, I I guess the radical imagination may leap forward faster than the limitations of our political imagination. And maybe that's just the way it is. But I would quote the Situationists All Power to the Imagination.
1: If you want to listen to the show live, just log on at kcsb.org on Saturdays 6 p.m. Pacific. Or if you happen to be in the Santa Barbara area, tune your dials to 91.9 FM. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Um, you guys should check out podcast The Plague. Any any particular episode that you're really proud of?
4: Ooh. Um. I like the one with Philip Howard, uh, professor at Oxford, talking about authoritarian bots online and how to combat yeah. oh, disinformation cool. from authoritarian people messing around online um, because also I ask everyone at the end of every chapter to, uh, at the end of every episode to do something creative whatever they want. They can sing they can do a poem and what this wonderful Oxford professor chose to do was a William Shatner-esque reading of the titles of disinformation videos <laughs> while I put a weird soundtrack <laughs> under him and he just rocks it. I was like this is the, I uh, just a tear came to my eye tear of joy. So gotta, go, put go with that, that one.
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, totally.
4: Oh, yeah. You're right. We'll fund some performance art with the money we make from the Oxford guy with the Shatner thing. Absolutely.
1: Next week, we'll be doing another short story. So for for long-time listeners, we're breaking up our just to give us a break, because it's a lot of books, a lot of reading, a lot of movies. So we're going to do one of these episodes every other week, and then between, we're going to, you know, like last week, we did Voltaire's Micro Megas, Broken Up by Some Music,
3: Famous anti-semite Voltaire. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Whatever. As long as you're okay with it.
1: I mean, I, I grew up on Raw Dahl. I grew up with famous anti-semites. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: a sad story.
1: So I won't pick I won't pick my anti-semite, jeez. Gosh, Ted. <sighs> Good um, luck life. finding a
3: non-anti-Semitic <laughs> writer.
1: Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll, we're doing a, a a really fun show about, uh, like, positive portrayals of insects in science yeah, fiction. Yeah, we already did so, evil bugs. Nice. Yeah.
2: Now and now we're going to do bugs. nice bugs. Or at least, yeah. That's nice. It's a balanced More approach. Bugs.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, you should check out our website. I will, post, I will post LM's website on here, on there, a link to the plague as well. So that's lastrefugepod.com.
2: You can send us an email at thelastrefugeoftheincompetent at gmail
1: And as always, you jerks can leave us a voicemail. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Listen, LM, we haven't gotten a voicemail, so we're trying. We're trying this thing where we're just mean to our listeners, and maybe they'll just just provoke them. Wait, just yeah. provoke a response.
4: I we're think it's a good idea for
3: hate mail. You know what,
4: you all out there, you don't have the guts to leave these people a voicemail. Right there.
1: The yeah. kind of guest
4: we
2: need.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um 3091 That's the number. And um oh I just
2: don't think anyone likes dialing a phone. That's right. the chair. That's
3: I wouldn't true. be a very show a voicemail. Are you kidding yeah, me? What kinda of weirdo does that? <laughs> yeah,
1: you yeah, you guys, you crazy people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Just and the kind
4: of mad genius who will leave you a voicemail. That's what we need.
1: And um, you know, I hope tonight when you go to bed, you're not haunted by dream poop nightmares. <laughs> I, I will be. <laughs> <got> <laughs> some sweet dreams.
2: I tell you, what. sleep well, incompetors. Science so. fiction.